the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you on Monday live, 3 p.m. Eastern time at youtube.com slash cover3. Thanks to all of you that are joining the conversation. Uh, Be sure to chime in in the chat and keep that conversation going. Uh, We have a lot to get to this week. We will be doing our regular Upon further review segment, one last chance for us to get out uh, all of our final takes. And when we gathered together on Saturday nights for the instant reaction, we haven't watched all the games that we're going to watch. We haven't taken all the notes. And also there is some action that is still going on when we record. As those of you who listened to the show figured out, because we opened with just over four minutes to go in Ole Miss, Tennessee. And uh, yes, we did get to discuss that playing out over time. There's been continued fallout from that Ole Miss, Tennessee ending. And of course, we had breaking news in the LSU front. I want to get to that in a second. We will do AP versus coaches, uh, looking at number two in the country and a few other teams. So first, uh, Tom Fernelli and I got to jump on for the emergency podcast, but I wanted to uh, open with an opportunity for Bud, Danny, uh, for y'all to be able to you know, let out your reaction or your thoughts on uh, Ed Odron and LSU, the separation agreement. He will not be back for 2022. Uh, he will coach the rest of the season, at least as expected to for now. Uh, where are we at with LSU now with uh, about 24 hours after the news broke on Sunday? Well, um, this happened – not in terms of like the timing. I, I did not think they were going to do it yesterday uh, following a win over Florida, but ultimately that win over Florida was going to be kind of inconsequential if the season played out like I expected it to play out. I mean, I, I said on basically every show I'm betting against LSU this week, and literally I have bet against LSU every single week of the year because I think they're just a fraudulent squad. Uh, and Orgeron, it's not quite the Gene Chizik situation, uh, but I, I totally get why it went down the way it did. And they they kind of had the hit pieces ready. If, if you look at what the Athletic had ready to go, uh, they're like, yeah, we, we did it, and here's some justification for it, which, you know, you could say that's dirty pool, but they're also paying the guy like $7 million a year and $18 million to go away. Uh, so, you know, like Orgeron said today, he'll be able to buy a hamburger if he needs to. <laughs> I, I'm interested to see just how this coaching search goes. They're going to swing at a whole lot of big candidates. I don't, I don't know who's going to be number one. I mean, obviously Jimbo makes a lot of sense in that Woodward and him are very tight, and he doesn't have an actual buyout uh, unless AM wants to fire him. But there's a lot of different ways this thing could go, and I'm sure LSU is going to get a really good guy because it's a super attractive job, and they've got a ton of money. It uh, it was wild. I mean, I, it'll be weird watching this unfold. 
not super shocking. It would have been less shocking had it happened after they lost in Lexington than after they just beat the Florida Gators, which makes you feel like all of this was already in the works after the loss to Kentucky. And it just happened to be the most awkward of timing when they were going to release this and they're like, we're going to move forward with this no matter what happens. And then they go beat Florida and it's like, oh, well, what do we do now? I mean, they've got two tough road games. They're probably going to lose those, but who knows? You know, we'll see what happens. But I think it's going to be a wild ride to see how this coaching search goes. I mean, only in the SEC, only specifically at LSU, would you have the type of names that are being mentioned. And you're like, yeah, I could see it. You know, like uh, everyone except for Dabo. That was the one where I was kind of like, all right, let's slow down. And Gruden, like Gruden's still coming around. Like, let's chill with that. <laughs> Who does have like a 10,000 to one odds of being named a head coach outside of those two? Just about everybody else in the business is pretty much on the table. And you could see, yep, I could see that happening. So I think it's going to be fascinating. The Jimbo Fisher connection, uh, the rumors about him being one of the leading candidates. It's going to be a wild ride. And I don't know when it gets settled. You would, you know, I guess it'll happen after the season. But if they want to head start on some other good jobs, USC, Miami, it would be a fantastic job to be an agent representing any one of these coaches is all I would say. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear, like what you said, Danny, that this was in the works, because as you mentioned, Bud, those hit pieces were pretty long features, and they came out within like 10 minutes of the news breaking. So I I feel like they were planning on doing this after the Kentucky loss, and the only thing they hadn't counted on was beating Florida. Like, it was like, oh, uh, crap. Okay, well, let's do it anyway, because we can't afford to let them win more games. But, I mean, I think that, like you mentioned, the stories – as I mentioned on the reaction pod yesterday, it's funny how all of that stuff wasn't a problem until they started losing games. But, you know, that's typically how things go in this industry. But uh, I don't know. I was going to save this kind of maybe for a pond further review, but I guess I'll bring it up now because you're mentioning like college coaches that could be candidates for the job. And Chip, we went over some candidates yesterday, but I think one name that we I didn't mention yesterday and I haven't really seen mentioned a whole lot anywhere else. What about Lincoln Riley? Because... Right now, he's at Oklahoma in the Big 12, where he's got a pretty sweet setup there as far as being able to be the best team in that conference and get to the college football playoff. But once Oklahoma joins the SEC, that path becomes a lot more difficult. So you got to wonder if, because Woodward is somebody that does like to swing big. That's why you're seeing it's it's a combination of the fact that this is a huge job and the fact that Woodward has gone after big names before that you think that this is going to end up being a big name hire. It's not going to be some up and coming coordinator or a group of five coach as far as I'm in my best guesstimation. But I feel like Lincoln Riley is a name that hasn't been mentioned much that could be that big swing that might be more interested in the gig than most people realize. Because I know that he's, you know, been at Oklahoma for a while, came as the offensive coordinator, but it's not like he's got lifelong ties to the school. So that's just an interesting name I'm going to float out there to see if they, what you guys think. I did actually have that name come up to me when I was talking about this gig. I was like, okay, who who is somebody who would be a surprise to everybody, but maybe you could make the argument for going to get him. And I think the argument is, do you think Lincoln could get defensive linemen to come to Oklahoma more consistently? Or do you think you can get quarterbacks to come to LSU more consistently? Because at LSU, you can always get the big bodies up front. It's a much better state to recruit than Oklahoma is, obviously. Uh, at Oklahoma, you have to go outside of the state to get most of your defensive linemen, uh, which is one of the toughest commodities to get 
in the recruiting game. So maybe, but I, I'd still, I, I think it could be a fit. I don't know that he really wants to leave Oklahoma. Oklahoma has done quite a bit for Lincoln Riley, obviously. I don't think he was going to be somebody who was going to get a job of that caliber anytime soon, really. But Stoops basically handed him the job with with that uh, with that retirement with the time he did. The path to the college football playoff when Oklahoma joins the SEC will be tougher than the way it's just been running the Big 12 over the last you know decade or so. But I also think there's a potential for Oklahoma to benefit in recruiting from playing in the SEC in ways that it has been hurt. And like it's had to overcome those hurdles, a bit the negative recruiting of the Big 12. And so the path is tougher, but I think Oklahoma is a lateral move to LSU. I think they are both comparable, really, really good, top-tier elite jobs in college football. I I think the path is going to stay easier at Oklahoma. Right now it's easier, right? Win the Big 12, lighter conference. You've got three or four more years of that until they either expand early or the contract runs out after 25-26. And then once you once they move to the SEC – we're expecting expansion, so then you don't even have to win the SEC to get in. So I would say that I don't know if playoff access makes a difference either way. To me, it's more of Bud's point, like, do you think you could get better talent at LSU than you could at Oklahoma? And I think you can make a strong case for that. But this is one of those aspects where I don't think we always consider what matters to see personally. Like maybe Lincoln Riley just likes living in Norman. He's got young kids, you know, he's got a, you know, that are happy there and he doesn't want to uproot his family. He's got a really good thing going. Or maybe he's frustrated that, hey, you know, maybe I want to try something new, a new challenge. But I did that. Those are the aspects we don't know about it. But I think it's interesting because I do, th- I would agree more with you, Chip, that it's a lateral move. And yet, you know, SEC, LSU fans might be like, what are you crazy? This is one of the top jobs in college football. And yet, Oklahoma, Maybe one of the top jobs we never consider as a top job because it's rarely open. In, hasn't been in the to, last 25 years. Compared to Oklahoma, LSU's a new blood. Like Oklahoma's yeah. done this through generations. And so I think that that's, uh, that's probably something that it, it, you can speak to for the, the Sooners' infrastructure. But, Tom, like you brought his name up. That would be one where if it happened, I might use the response lateral move now, but I'd be like, okay, all right, Lincoln, good. Like, Let's see what happens when LSU has Lincoln F. Riley out here as its head coach. Uh, I'm well, In terms of expectations, we mentioned that there's going to be big names at the center of this. I'm not expecting any movement on this until there's a lot of movement on this very quickly. Probably, what, December 3rd, December 5th, you know, like right there uh, around the end of conference championship. And then I, I say quickly because – What do you have to do? You've got to hire your coach in time for the early signing period. We're talking about LSU. Uh, Its recruiting class is going to be under fire in in terms of other teams trying to pick it apart as it was a a top 10 class. And so I'm not expecting anything before we get to late November, early December, Thanksgiving weekend at the absolute earliest. Do you all see any kind of different timeline there? It's interesting why you announce it now. Uh, Right, because and unless you're going to go ahead and make a hire earlier than normal, but I don't think you're really going to be able to do that because most everybody who I see mentioned is a sitting head coach. Unless LSU is just is just going to make a, kind of an unprecedented move and get somebody to leave their team, you know, before Thanksgiving, which seems <laughs> unlikely. I, I think that will happen eventually. By the way, 
If Lane Kiffin leaves before the Egg Bowl to go take the LSU job, the content will be incredible. Feel very sorry for this country, but this is tremendous content. Yada yada yada. <laughs> I I do think that uh, the early signing period has has created pressure to where you want to get that coach hired immediately after your final game. Uh, but also, if I was an AD, I would just say, "Hey, man, we're taking the long tail approach to this. Uh, we know that most of these guys, I think, uh, that you can actually get in that three week signing period are available for a reason and not a good one. Either they have." You know, some mental health issues or competitive temperament problems or, uh, you know, like maybe their family is totally a mess, which causes them to have trouble. I'm just saying like behind the scenes stuff that I know, looking looking at all these classes, talking to a lot of our reporters at 24-7 Sports, that class you put together in three weeks is more often than not an absolute disaster. I would go all portal unless I got like a local kid that I know is a stud who just is destined to go to that school. The washout rate is incredible. But do you think Jimbo's a viable candidate? Because yeah, for you know, sure. Here's, so do you think he would? Because I mean, that's the one that I look at, and you look at the way his contract struck it with zero buyout, but the full guarantee. LSU would probably match it. And who wrote the somebody, contract, Danny? What's that? Zero Woods. buyout. Yeah. Scott Woodward, the guy who who would be trying to hire him at LSU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be fascinating. Is then all you have to do is watch. Then maybe there's a deal done similar to what we saw happen in Tallahassee when he left Florida State that, you know, just keep an eye on Texas A&M's finish of the season. Because if they start falling apart and the recruiting class starts, you know, limping towards the end of the you season, that's the you song. should be able to know. Yes, we should if see the dad, that. the number one corner says they're not recruiting me anymore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there, there may be something going on there. But in that situation, A&M was very worried about Auburn at the end. Remember? Because mm-hmm. the thought was Jimbo is probably going to use A&M to play like like to, as a bargaining chip and take the Auburn job if Auburn was going to let Gus walk to Arkansas. But then Gus messed up and beat Georgia and Bama in back-to-back weeks. And they're like, oh, well, better give this guy an extension. So uh, this one could be worked out well in advance if he is going to go to LSU, which I don't know that he is, right? Now that Woodward's worked for them again, he probably likes the results, I would think, but I'll, he may not. I don't know. Like, I know LSU is putting a, a, an emphasis on quarterback development if you, re, if you read what's out there. And the quarterback development post Jameis has been terrible. So who knows? Let, let's let's see how this thing plays out. You know who does develop quarterbacks? Lane Kiffin, Lincoln Riley. Oh shoot, yeah. Joe Brady. Um. So the SEC on CBS game of the week this week is LSU at Ole Miss. Scott Woodward, I imagine, is going to be traveling to Oxford as part of the LSU traveling party. We got a job interview behind the scenes somewhere. We got any conversations? I mean, the to, the fact that we're talking about division rivals, I'm, I mean, I've got a, a short, like I don't have this long college football brain, but it is crazy that LSU, I guess it speaks to the how great a job the LSU job is and how strong all those jobs are in the SEC that the first name, some of the first names we're talking about are the sitting head coach at Texas A&M and the sitting head coach at Ole Miss. When we did our sort of instant reaction emergency podcast, Tom brought it up and I, I laughed, but now with 24 hours to think about it, upon further review, I think Lane Kiffin would be a pretty good hire. Is he proven enough for Scott Woodward? Because I don't, I, I don't know. Like Woodward seems to only go after really big, like but he proven hired coaches. Sark, and at the time, Sark was probably a little bit more on the rising star train. Wait, he hired Sark to replace Willingham. His first year was Willingham's okay. final mm-hmm. year at Washington. Um, 
And then yeah, he hired Sarkeesian to replace his him. last four hires, though, are Chris Peterson, which was a huge proven name, mm-hmm. Buzz Williams, who he stole from uh, Mark, Virginia, Tech. Virginia Tech, right to AM, Kim Mulkey on the basketball women's basketball side from Baylor, and then Jimbo. So it seems like post Peterson, he only wants to take big, big swings. That's a small sample set. So like we may just, this may just be all narrative street, right? And we don't know. I don't think it's a small sample. I think it's pretty clear what he wants to do. But because like going back to Sark, like at the time, Washington wasn't exactly the kind of job where you were going to be able to lure a big name away and say, just going zero and 12. Yeah. So it's like he, he couldn't swim in those pools at LSU. He could swim in any pool he wants. And I don't think he wants to play in the, you know, coaching search firm kind of pool. He's like, no, I know who this person is. I know they're good. Give me their agent's phone number. Let's talk. I do think Lane would be a good hire. I just don't right. know if he's proven enough. Or, I mean, is there any issue with baggage? Like, they're just getting rid of there one could coach. could be some. That's what I would worry about. Like, do you really want to take another risk? And I think Lane has done a great job of rehabbing his image you know, cleaning up some of the issues in his life, but it's not like it comes without risk. I feel like with the issues that LSU has had with Ed Ogeron and has currently going on with the investigations that are going on with the Title IX stuff, I feel like they might go a little bit safer direction as far as character goes. What if they hire Lane and then Lane hires Ed as his DL coach? (laughs) (laughs) Well, according to... Which actually would make sense. (laughs) Did y'all see the the contract has, um, I hope I don't mess this up, that for four years, for the next four years, uh, Ed Ogeron has committed to at least one appearance per year for the school on behalf of LSU, and he will officially remain an employee for, I think, 18 months. It just won't be as the sitting head coach of uh, the football program. So he'll still be around. You know, if you need him to coach DL, I'm sure he'll get down and uh, start talking some technique. He'll be hanging around the local gas stations, you know, checking <laughs> oh. in. Jimbo did just great. comment, by the way, on LSU. What he, he said, said, I plan on being here at Texas A&M and fulfilling this contract. I love everything about this place, which is basically exactly what he said about Tallahassee in late yep. October uh, when I was standing there. So, yep. And they all say that. They have to. I never, I'll say. never fault a coach for saying that. The Nick Saban, I'm never going to Bama, and he goes the next day. Like, all that stuff. They have to say it. It's a game. They have to say the they have to say the politically correct thing. I like Danny's call of if the recruiting class starts falling <laughs> apart and if the performance on the field starts to slip, I look at that driveway and I'm waiting for a Christmas tree to get <laughs> right out there. <laughs> um, all right, let's. Uh, oh, any the the um, many layers of Ole Miss Tennessee were all unfolding as we were recording the reaction pod when we gathered together yesterday for the emergency podcast for the Coach OLSU news. That was pretty much the only thing we discussed. Anything hanging out to y'all within the conversation uh, following everything that happened from the fallout from Tennessee, the things that made you laugh, good jokes, whether you are uh, outraged or whether you've got a feeling on, you know, like, Tennessee fans and this being representative of all of these wrongs. Like it feels like there's a very, um, very targeted conversation there that's going on within the Tennessee fan base, which is always, as we know, very, very passionate. I, it's not quite hit my level of concern. It's not making my needle move, but I wanted to give some space in case that was something that registered for y'all before moving on. No, I I think it's, I mean, what throwing crap on the field, don't do it. It was a bad scene. It's a bad look, but, I mean, I don't think I think the 
impact surrounding the game or the story surrounding the game, it being a big game with Lane going back to Tennessee, definitely puts a spotlight on it, which brings it to the forefront. And I also just think that what Tennessee fans did with the Shiano thing just makes it easier to pile on them. But, you know, earlier in the day, there was like, I, I put it in the Monday after, and there was a photo going around Twitter, was a Purdue offensive lineman chugging a beer that had been thrown on the field by Iowa fans after Iowa lost at home to Purdue. And I don't remember the, seeing the same kind of outcry about Iowa fans behaving the, that way. So it's just crap that happens. People get drunk, go to football games, get angry and throw things. You don't want to see it. It shouldn't happen, but it's going to happen. There were a few more objects thrown in Knoxville than there were in True. Iowa City. We'll just, <laughs> But I get your point. I'll say this. I like part of what makes a great fan base is an irrational passion, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. the same, like we say how hostile environments are because, you know, you can't leave your helmet too close to the wall or they might steal it. Or, hey, they might throw a bag of urine at you and y'all can't, it's a little bit intimidating and they're going to chant things that aren't the prettiest that make you feel uncomfortable. And there's a very fine line that you walk and clearly they cross that line on Saturday night. Like, it's just like... The scene, that's the thing that bums me out. I was jealous watching and listening because you could hear the energy on the broadcast, like the sing-along when they're all singing and chanting and the the white and orange blocked off, you know, color sections. It was an unbelievable atmosphere. Um, but it's just, it's that fine line that makes you a crazy, awesome fan base and then a crazy, irrational, over-the-top, and they crossed it. So now they have to... They have to try to dial it back and make sure that that doesn't happen ever again. And they come out, they're going to try to search the video. And I think they're going to punish the people that they can find. And hopefully it sends a message that it doesn't happen again. I mean, there's a lot of things happening across sports with people getting knocked out at games. I mean, there's some really ugly incidents happening. And it kind of concerns me as a fan that I don't want to see somebody, you know, get hurt really bad at a game. Yet we've already seen a couple of them or a player have something thrown at them from the stands and it's, but at the same time, like I love when fans are allowed to storm the field and yet they're probably going to really crack down on that because of this. And it just it puts a blemish on it. You know, who's the happiest about that whole controversy? My man, Joe Milton, because guess what? We're not talking about him. The one throw that wasn't home. made. Yeah. <laughs> him just saying, "Ooh, I got to get a good run on this one. Oh, let me get out of bounds so I don't get hit. Oh, wait a second. There's zero seconds left. Game over. Holy that, cow. That was you talk great about just journey. a lack of awareness. Mm-hmm. It's a tough spot for him to be in, right? You're not you're not as dialed into situations when you come off the bench, but that was a rough look. Yeah, but, but you're very on brand. dialed into that situation <laughs> considering it's the last play of the game. And you need I to agree. <laughs> Trying to give the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, like you need to be dialed inbounds. <laughs> Stay <laughs> inbounds and throw the ball. Somewhere or throw inbounds, it somewhere yes. towards the end zone. A chance, yes. <laughs> I I will say, like having interacted with some Tennessee fans online uh, this year, but also in the past, they have a weird ability to kind of like create these fake microaggressions against them, and they're like all telling me, "Look at all, look at all these calls the refs have blown against us." Like they, I'm like, guys, blown calls happen. Like there is not a. They really, I don't say they. I don't want to paint with a broad brush. A surprising number of Tennessee fans really do think there is some sort of conspiracy to keep Tennessee down as opposed to just entirely uh, administrative incompetence, bad coaching hires, and inconsistent recruiting and development. Like, they really think there's some kind of huge conspiracy out there. And, I, and I'm like, and a lot of people are tweeting, I, I, it doesn't justify their behavior, but they have legitimate gripes. Like, okay, uh, maybe I, I, don't, I don't see it, but 
Ugh, uh, a lot yeah, of that going around these days. That fan base that is a little, That's a weird I, fan base. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say like the within. It's that's why I said targeted. Like it's they're creating microaggressions in a very very small community, and all of it's being circulated within that small community. And anybody outside, all of a sudden, is like, "What is going on over there?" And it, I don't know. I can't. I, I don't have any good words of uh, of help for you right now, Tennessee fans. I'm sorry. That was. Don't, I mean, hey, don't, don't throw stuff. Don't throw golf balls and mustard on the field. All right, that's very simply. That's yeah. the reason you got to punish it more. Is because like throwing bottles for the most part is not going to hurt people unless they're like really, really full and you're able to chuck them. But if you don't punish them hard, then somebody's going to throw something that actually could hurt, like seriously hurt somebody on the sideline. So that's why you got to go make an example of them. Yeah, but nobody gets fined when Joe Milton and Le- never mind. Um, all right let's uh always a fun activity for us to be able to discuss a couple different teams especially teams that have some differing uh, positions in the opinion polls that were released on sundays our first for ap versus coaches has to do not with a major discrepancy but with a very simple one and i thought it is going to bring up a, a a good who you got within college football, a discussion that we'll have all through the week, and it might continue for weeks to come depending on performance. Everyone, everyone agrees Georgia is the number one team. Unanimous in the AP poll, unanimous in the coaches. But the coaches have Oklahoma at number two. The AP has Cincinnati at number two. Now, um, they all each have the other one at number three. We have Cincinnati number two in the CBS Sports 130, but we've got Alabama uh, up there at number three, I believe, instead of Oklahoma. So, But this is AP versus coaches. Cincinnati or Oklahoma, who you got? Who do you think is more deserving of the number two spot behind Georgia? I don't think there's a wrong answer. I think that in my ballot, for the FWA Super 16 poll, I have Oklahoma at number two. And I just took the approach of, there's a kind of a mixture of things. I think at a power rating gambling angle, I would have Oklahoma State or Oklahoma favored over Cincinnati on a neutral field. And I think resume wise, Oklahoma has better wins than Cincinnati does. I think if you look at game control wise, I think Cincinnati's been the more impressive team as far as how they've dominated their opponents, but Oklahoma's got to win over Texas. It's beaten, you know, it, it kicked TCU's butt. And if you look at Cincinnati, yeah, it has that win over Indiana, but that has completely dissolved as far as an important win. And it has the Notre Dame win, which might be the most impressive win between the two, but overall resumes like Cincinnati's other wins are against Miami, Ohio, Murray State, Temple, and a UCF without Dylan Gabriel. So it's dominating. And I don't, if you put it at number two, you're not going to get any argument from me about it, but I just, I just have Oklahoma slightly ahead. I did too. I had Oklahoma ahead uh, based on both resume and eye test who you think would win. I think this is going to be unbelievable when we see the commit, like assuming things kind of remain somewhat status quo. Now, clearly some of these teams play each other, but they're all behind them. When you're at two, you know, that's, if, you, if Cincinnati keeps winning, what is the selection committee going to do? Like, and I could easily, because they're going to be in a bind if they have them at two or three. I think they probably start off at four going to Tom's theory of there's no way in hell they're ever going to have a chance. So I would lean towards that. And I hate it for the Cincinnati players because I know Luke Fickle's probably telling them the right things, but they're probably really starting to believe in their minds that they have a chance to play for in a playoff, first group of five team there. And I hate it for them. But I, I had Oklahoma two and I had Cincinnati three. 
I actually have Cincinnati higher. Um, especially right now because I've adjusted Oklahoma down in the power rings. But I also think Cincinnati's resume, quite honestly, is better. Um, hmm. You know, Oklahoma has not beaten a team with a winning Power 5 record. Yeah, I know. I mean, I was going to say they each don't have great, like the Texas win and the Notre Dame wins are what you're holding up. And I was going to argue that maybe Cincinnati's wins against the bottom of its schedule pull it down where to like West Virginia, Nebraska, Tulane, at least I think might be a higher floor. But I I, I will listen to an argument that Cincinnati actually has a tougher strength of schedule. But where, Texas, do you have, where do you have Notre Dame in comparison to Texas in your ratings? Uh, I have Notre Dame a good higher. I, I don't buy into Texas. Um, ah. Yeah, so I, I think Notre Dame is actually a fairly solid team. Uh, and Texas, I, I have Notre Dame about eight spots higher. Okay, let's uh, let's take a look at Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina is number 14 in the AP Top 25, number 16 in the coaches poll. Why did I want to make sure that we talk about Coastal Carolina? Because, gentlemen, there is a huge fun belt game coming up this Wednesday night in Boone. The Rock, I mean, I, I hope that they are going to be bringing it for, uh, for a great night of college football there in Boone, North Carolina. Great setting when that place is packed and when that place is loud. Winner here probably gets the inside track on the Sunbelt's East Division. App State picking up the loss at Louisiana. Must win game for the Mountaineers if they want to compete for a conference title. If Coastal Carolina wants to compete for a New Year's Six berth, I think that you've got to be undefeated. So Coastal Carolina, ahead of this massive matchup with App State, number 14 in the AP, number 16 in the coaches. Which way would you lean on that? Are you higher or lower on Coastal uh, than the consensus opinions? I'm lower than both. Mm. I did not have Coastal in my top 16 ballot this week. And it's not that I don't think they're fun. It's not that I don't think they're good. It's not that I don't think they're the best team in the Sun Belt because I fully expect them to beat App State this week. But they've played Citadel, Kansas, Buffalo, UMass, ULM, and Arkansas State. I don't know the combined record of those six teams off the top of my head, but it's not great. So I... I respect the six and zero. I would have them more in the twenty to twenty five range. Agreed. I love everything about this coastal team. Um, I, I love how they recruit. I think Grayson McCall is awesome. I really like Coach Chadwell. I think they're doing something special there. Uh, for, you know, for that level. But they are number <clears throat> they're number one thirty out of one thirty in, in schedule strength, and it's by a lot, guys. Mm-hmm. Like it's not that close to one twenty nine. I think if you actually pull up Sagarin. They're probably lower in the schedule strength ratings. I don't have it in front of me right now than a good number of FCS teams too. They have played like nobody. And the one team that I would define as like sort of having a pulse, maybe, you know, Buffalo, they beat 28-25. That's like a field goal win over a bad Buffalo team that needed a last second field goal to beat Ohio over the weekend. The one, hey, they ball, stormed back. That was a triumphant comeback for the Buffalo Bulls. You were down twenty-one, nothing, giving up ninety-nine yard touchdowns. This, I came out of that with a note being like, "Hey, Buffalo didn't quit in that game," and also maybe Ohio's in big, big trouble. Sagarin, Sagarin has Coastal schedule strength ranked one hundred and fifty-ninth. Yeah, see, yes. so about about twenty-nine FCS teams have mm-hmm. played a tougher schedule so far. Um, the one worry I have about Coastal is if. I don't think they're nearly as good as they were last year on the defensive line. 
I, I I had them against Kansas in the first half, and Kansas had some explosive runs against them. I know Buffalo hit some big runs against those guys too. Uh, Arkansas State would have scored a lot more points against them if they didn't have like 10 drops in that ballgame, but they were able to have guys open and not have a ton of pressure on the quarterback. Uh, this defensive line is probably going to get Coastal beat in a game this year, and if they don't, it's only because Grayson McCall just dunks in everybody with 50 points or you know seven points per drive or whatever because they don't play a tempo pace. Um, but this is not as good of a Coastal team as last year was at all. Danny, Coastal thoughts? I know Jamie Chad was your all guy. this. Yeah, no, he's my guy. America's team. Love the shots. I this all this discussion drives me nuts, and I feel like a broken record because we need we need separate group of five and different conferences because yeah, I would have them lower, but I'm a believer in that the undefeated matters. But like, let's do separate polls. Let's do a group of five ranking and let's do a power five ranking, and then we don't have to have this weird dynamic where. We have a team and we, they're ranked 14 or 16 and all of us on here can agree, well, if you put them around some of the teams that are ranked lower than them, you know, Kentucky's right below them. I'd probably say Kentucky beats them. NC State from the NC, uh, from the ACC, I think, would beat them. And there you go down the list of teams behind them. You're like, yeah, I think they could beat them. But those all, te- all those teams lost, but they played tougher opponents. Like it's this weird dynamic that I can't stand that unfolds in all of these rankings that we try to judge teams. In my G5 rankings, I would have Coastal third. Yeah. Behind, I think would be behind Cincinnati fun. and UTSA. I think it would be more fun for them, and I guess it is because they have the bowl tie-in with the New Year's Six, which you know we'll see how that unfolds. But I, I just it's a weird dynamic. And I don't know, Chip, if you had this on the rundown for today, because but like Coastal is six and zero, and it's ranked what fourteenth and sixteenth because it was good last year too. UTSA is 7 and 0 and it's just finally cracking the polls even though if you look at its schedule it has a win over a power 5 team in Illinois. It has a win over an AAC team on the road. Both of these wins are on the road over Memphis. It's also got wins over Lamar, Middle Tennessee, UNLV, a road win over Western Kentucky and Rice. Well, that's not exactly a murderer's row of opponents. It's far and away a tougher schedule than anything Coastal has faced this point. It's 7-0, and the only reason it's not ranked as high as Coastal is because it didn't do it last year. So Coastal's kind of more of a, hey, I remember them from last year, so I'm going to put them here kind of team. Well, Good branding. Would mm-hmm. they be ranked if they had Miami schedule? Like, would they have a better result? Like, would they their win-loss record be good enough to be ranked if they played Alabama – Virginia, North Carolina, Michigan State, App. And at at UNC. Like, they would have a losing record, right? Probably, yeah. I mean, this is entirely schedule-based so far. But there's something to confidence, guys. There's just something to a little bit of mojo. (laughs) Just seeing the points on the scoreboard. Yep, we'll see. Uh, Next team is an undefeated group of five team like UTSA. Tom, so I'm glad you mentioned. SMU. More love from the coaches than the AP. Number 19 in the coaches, number 21 in the AP. Again, number 21 in the AP, number 19 in the coaches. SMU 6-0, and uh, and they also have a win against the Power Conference opponent, taking down TCU 42-34 to earlier this season. They play against uh, Tulane on Thursday night at home. Uh, are you? How are we feeling about the Mustangs? Because this is the they come back. I believe they were off last week, and they come back with Tulane, Houston, Memphis, UCF as the next four games before that massive showdown at Cincinnati. Uh, are you higher or lower on the Mustangs? 
I'm more in line with the coaches poll here. I had him 15th on my ballot this week. I, I think were, that Deco. Yeah, they were pretty physical against TCU. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a game where they didn't look like, oh, this is smoke and mirrors with Tanner Mordecai. Both their lines played really well and were able to push around TCU's offensive and defensive lines pretty well. So I'd fall in line here with Tom. I'll tell you, Cincinnati desperately needs SMU to be undefeated when they play, like to have a resume builder. And, you know, and and then maybe I don't I, like what optically what looks better. Do you want to blow them out twice or do you want to have a tight game in the regular season and then, a you know, a blowout in the American championship game? So it resonates more. I honestly don't know what what would be the best case for Cincinnati to get a resume builder in there. SMU tanks the UCF first is game killing and these the teams, though. UCF falling apart is killing the American because that was always one of those teams that was pretty good, you know, could contend against other power five teams. The fact they've fallen apart has been brutal. Like if, if Dylan Gabriel, if, if Dylan Gabriel doesn't get hurt, throws a touchdown pass instead of a pick six against Louisville, they beat Louisville. All of a sudden it changes the perception of the American. Like the Americans having a little bit of a down year outside of these two teams. Yeah, if, if if SMU was in the Big 12 right now, I would have them more in that Baylor TCU range ahead of West Virginia, Kansas State, Texas Tech, and Kansas. I think this is a I don't I don't think this is a team that's going to be going undefeated. I fully expect them to lose to Cincinnati on the road or later this year, and I think they could probably lose a game before then. But from what I've seen from them, they have been a pretty impressive football team so far. Man, I am just like disagreement city today. I I have them 35th. What? Um, like they. To me, they have the number one twenty strength of schedule ranking. You know, they've they've played a really like I give them credit for the win over TCU, but they haven't dominated these other teams like, like I would like to see them do. North Texas is absolutely terrible, 35-12. Like to me, if you're gonna play the one twenty ranked schedule, I need you to beat North Texas like fifty to five. You know what I mean? Like I really need to see absolute dominance over these terrible teams. Otherwise, it's just not on my radar. And like these games aren't getting to garbage time with them in many cases until there's like 10 minutes left. And if you're playing this terrible of a slate of teams, if I'm going to rank you in the top 25, I need to see you dominating it. Otherwise, like you're just coming out there, you're having good but not great performances. You know, Navy played a touchdown game with them, a terrible USF team, which still doesn't have, you know, a, 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 an FBS win yet. Um, I'm, I'm just not sold quite yet. I love the offense. The defense does not get enough stops to put these games away early. Tulsa is down from what we expected. Memphis is down from what we expected. UCF, uh, the Gabriel injury and sort of the form of that team the rest of the season, not at all what we expected. SMU, you want to you want to show that you're a top 20 team? Just uh, just run through that schedule because any loss is a bad loss except for Cincinnati for, uh, for SMU moving forward. All right, let's do one more AP versus coaches. The Auburn Tigers are number 19 in the AP. They are number 22 in the coaches poll. Now, Auburn right here uh, just being a a great quality loss team. They've got an eight-point loss on the road against Penn State. And then, of course, they've got the 34-10 result against the best team in America, the Georgia Bulldogs. So for Auburn, Bo Nix and and everything that he's been bringing where – He's making uh, he's making it seem like he's playing better than what the actual statistics sometimes will even indicate. As Tom Fernelli tries to remind me, as I'm tell you that he's having the Heisman Trophy caliber type season. But after the 38 to 23 win at Arkansas, the Tigers are right here, uh, knocking on the door of the top 20, threatening to be the second best team in the SEC West. Still ranked here behind Ole Miss. Are we more with the AP? Are we more with the coaches? How do we feel about the Auburn Tigers? 
I'm more with the AP. I, I when I did my ballot, I was kind of going back and forth. I put Kentucky at 16th, but I was giving serious consideration to putting Auburn there instead. But I was like, eh, Kentucky's only got one loss to Georgia. It'd be kind of cruel to knock them off entirely. But I think that I have them closer to the top 15 than the 20 to 25 range, just where they're in the co- coaches' poll. I think that it's a perfectly good team that is not going to beat the elite teams, but is definitely up towards the top of that second tier. I'm going to be Mr. Positive here. I, I actually have them higher than both. Um, I have them as the number six strength schedule year to date. They did play a bad team in Akron, and unlike SMU, they actually crushed that team by you know, 50 points. They also crushed Alabama State. So the two cupcakes on the schedule, they just absolutely trashed, which is what you know very good teams do. They don't let them hang around. They go that they played Penn State when Penn State was at full health with, with Mustafer and the quarterback, and they played them to you know with, within a score. Uh, they had their letdown game against Georgia State, which they won. Uh, and then they go on the road. And LSU is not a good team, but it's like, what, a top 50 team? Generously? Like, that's not, I mean, a top, what, 60 team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, like, that's still better than anything Coastal has this year by far. And they go on the road and, and beat them. You know, they physically were okay with Georgia at times, I guess. And then they go on the road and they they pretty convincingly beat Arkansas. Although I know they had some turnover benefit there, but... They were still a better team moving the ball and stopping the opponent moving the ball. This is a okay offense. I have it as like the number 50 offense in the country and a top 15 defense. So I like them. I, I think Auburn's exceeded my expectations for 2021 in terms of the form already. Who knows? We got a lot of game and a lot of SEC conference play left, but I was selling stock coming into the season. I did not think this was going to be a good first year for Brian Harson. And the competitiveness of this team, the record, where it sits right now, I, I think that it has exceeded my expectations, at least. Danny, do you got strong Auburn Yeah, feels? I would say I'd probably lean towards the coaches, but I mean, it's somewhere in that, you know, 19 to 22, 23 range, probably in the middle. Uh, I thought the win against, well, against Arkansas was really impressive. You and I did the halftime for that show for that one. Bo Nix was dealing in the first half. For them to be able to close out that game showed a maturity level that maybe – you didn't see in the previous couple of years. I think you've seen growth from him and development, which is something that Gus Malzahn took a lot of criticism for. Um, so, yeah, I would say the game that I think is going to be really interesting is when they play Texas A&M. Like that, to me, will be a good barometer for just how good we think Auburn is, and they'll tell us a lot about Texas A&M too. Yeah, I, I do think like the biggest difference that I'm seeing in Auburn this year compared to the Gus Malzahn teams is that it's far more consistent from week to week. You have a much better idea of what you're going to get. Whereas it always felt like under Gus, like they got up for big games and just kind of had letdowns against lesser opponents. And that's not the case this year. I feel like they're ready to play every week. But Georgia State happened. It did. Yeah. That's but you're right. The the ups and downs from the entire since then that could have been just still a symptom of a team that was used to that in previous years. It happened under Harson first time that happened, and it hasn't happened since. Yeah, uh, will be interesting to continue to track as as you've mentioned. The upcoming schedule for Auburn gets very interesting. I mean, all these like uh, Ole Miss, uh, Texas A and M, uh, Auburn. I mean, you know, Alabama still has a bunch of huge division games left. Uh, will be interesting to track it in the SEC West. Coming up on the other side. Upon further review, our final notes from week seven, and we turn the page to week eight next. 
The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Great. Now I'm scared. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> well, I, I can make you feel a little bit easier, Tom, and I can make you feel easier because after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything is that there's always a catch. So when we first heard that Mint Mobile was offering premium wireless service starting at just $15 a month, I mean, the first thought is, well, what's the catch? But after speaking with them and uh, checking out their service, it all starts to make a lot more sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. By cutting out the retail stores, there's no crazy overhead costs. They get passed down to you in the form of mystery fees. Instead, Mint Mobile just passes on sweet savings direct to you. And for people looking for extra savings, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone that you already have with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contracts. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just $15 a a month. So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get that plan shipped right to your door for free, you don't even have to leave the house, go to mintmobile.com slash cover three. That's mintmobile.com slash cover three. M-I-N-T mobile.com slash cover three. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash cover three. Upon further review for week seven, uh, there wasn't a ton of late night action once by the time we had things wrapped up. In fact, the that Ole Miss-Tennessee game with the 17-minute delay and everything else that kind of felt like I didn't, didn't have a, a lot of football to flip to by the time we, we finally got out of here. But still, uh, you know, more games that we didn't get a chance to watch until Sunday or earlier on Monday. Uh, what are some of the lingering thoughts, storylines, or notes that we have from week seven? Do Utah's winning the Pac-12. <laughs> Did you see the helmet over there? 
Is it? Did you turn it? <laughs> yeah, I turned it around. Sun Devil Danny. <laughs> Sun Devil Danny's no longer. I didn't have time to find a different one, so I flipped it around because it was 21-7 at the half, and I had put just W all over it. I was already thinking where I was going to spend my winnings, and then I wake up the next morning. I say, wait a second. Is that a misprint? 35-21, to 21, 28 in unanswered points, and Cam Rising just comes – and just starts dealing on them. Wow. Uh, but just like this is the Pac-12 doing Pac-12 things. It felt like Arizona State was finally getting over that hump. The BYU loss felt a little bit fluky. Thought like Oregon and Arizona State were on this collision course as one-loss teams. And the Pac-12 is going to be in the driver's seat to get in the playoff. And then Pac-12 does Pac-12 things. Brutal. Yeah, like I legitimate fear for what's going to happen at Utah at some point. But for real. Like they've been the best team in the Pac-12 the last few weeks, and they really feel like the team right now. I would peg as the favorite to win the conference. Mm. I would agree with that. Uh, so I went through the like the key plays feature this morning on, on YouTube TV and just watched some of these games, some of the key plays. One thing I do want to point out: uh, we brought this up a couple of weeks ago, and Boston College losing Phil Dracovic is a is a big deal. Um, so Dennis Grossell, who is the backup, he's in probably for, for the rest of the year. Uh, five to five touchdown interception ratio. Not not great so far. Uh, adjusted yards per attempt, 5.3. Jer- uh, Jakovic was 14. So pretty good drop off there. Um, BC is just not nearly the team that it was uh, without him. Here's another one for you guys. Can you name me some teams that you think have over a 50% postgame win expectancy in all their games so far this year? How many teams did you say? Let's just name a couple. Like so, Georgia is obviously Georgia. You know, one of those. Ohio State, I'm pretty sure, is one of those. Even with the loss to Oregon, Oregon didn't have a better than fifty percent chance of winning that game. Uh, let me look here. I thought Ohio State actually got it, but um, no. Uh, yeah, Ohio State had a sixty-four on huh. on Connolly's. I, I don't know what CFP data had it. Connolly's drunk. <laughs> Michigan, uh, no. Michigan actually had a negative at Nebraska, uh, and also I think. Post game had a negative against records, barely. Cincinnati, probably, yep. I think, yeah. Coastal. Coastal, yep. Uh, Did Pitt have one for Western Michigan? Was that one of those crazy turnover games? I'm trying to remember now. It's been a while since I watched that. Kenny Pickett got knocked out in the middle, but then Pitt did have out. one. For, yeah, Pitt, Pitt was, uh, like yeah, 53 they, they in a loss. The unknown powerhouse Pitt Panthers. So here's one for you Florida. Florida has had a positive postgame win expectancy in all their games. Now, I think this shows just some of the craziness that is that they've been doing lately that you can kind of break the model. Uh, though in just like the magnitude of how bad these interceptions were, I think, and then obviously the the block kick return for touchdown, which isn't really like a repeatable thing, most likely, but it it, it happened and then having 15 penalties. I, I just thought that was interesting. You know, I, I dug into it. I'm like, why are they not lower in my power rankings and on a down-to-down basis, that team is not that bad. But then they just allow the school record <laughs> for rushing guard to a single player <laughs> for uh, for Davis Price from LSU. So just kind of a funky thing there. Uh, you would think Fresno, 17 nothing win on the road at Wyoming would, would be higher. But no, Wyoming just gave him great turnovers and was terrible in the red zone. 45% for Fresno. Uh, Hawaii, 65% post-game win expectancy in a loss with a backup quarterback, just ridiculous turnovers and turnover returns. 
in that game. So just looking at some misleading finals, right? Michigan State on that list. Air Force, no. Air Force was actually to, to the plus, barely. Yeah, dominant. Um, Michigan State, thirty nine percent. Yeah, that doesn't shock me. Indiana was, I yeah. felt like the better team in that game most of the time. I am like the boat captain that got Michigan State to shore. We have mission accomplished. I am now turning the keys over. I'm not driving the Michigan State boat anymore. I'm off this thing. Like mission accomplished. They they're already bowl eligible. I wanted them over four and a half wins. This thing has kind of been like semi fraudulent for about the last three weeks, to be honest. It's uh, rickety. I'm, I'm off. The last one I have here, Iowa, ten percent. We joked in the post game show that they finally got Iowa with all the turnovers. Purdue was just much better than those guys were on, on a down to down basis. Mm-hmm. Without the turnovers, Purdue would have still won the game. It's a rivalry. Purdue so Iowa. you mentioned the Florida angle. Tom wrote about this for CBSSports.com in his column. Is Dan Mullen on the hottest seat in the SEC? Yes. Does he deserve to be? That's I don't think so. But that's well, not his order on gone now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because it's it's the SEC game of chairs where somebody has to be on the hot seat at all times. Somebody must be sacrificed to the altar. It's like I don't know. Do you guys watch Big Brother or Survivor? There's uh, a, yeah. The key yes, of course it. I watch Survivor and Big Brother. I have it on Paramount Plus. Yeah, stream it on Paramount Plus. The key to getting to the end is always making sure there's a bigger target in the house or in the tribe than you. Ed Orgeron was the biggest target. He's gone now. So now Dan Mullen is the biggest target because they just lost and they're not playing as well as up to expectations. And he's one of the few coaches in the SEC who isn't like in their first year at this point. Because you've had turnover at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. No, nobody's going to put Eli, the alpha nerd Eli Drinkwitz, on any kind of hot seat right now. Um, but he's got a sacrifice that he can make in Todd Grantham. And he, I'm sure so he will soon, but I don't know. Please the football gods so that his. <laughs> that's, that's how it kind of works, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it is fascinating, though. If you look at some of his wins and the record that he's been struggling with, uh, and the, the teams that he, like. It's not great. Are you saying he was winning with Jim McElwain's players? <laughs> well, I, I was actually looking up McElwain's record because I forgot. And McElwain's got to be sitting there. Now, there's a personality fit. I'm not saying he was the right guy for the job. But back-to-back SEC East championships and then getting shown the door. I don't know. It's it's weird. I, I like yeah, Dan Nolan. I still think he's the right coach for the uh, Gators. But it is it is going to be interesting to see how the finish of this season goes. Mac had as many losses in two and a half seasons that Dan's had in three and a half. So there is some difference there, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's a bad, but like he's got to coach him up in terms of motivating players because the rest of the schedule after Georgia are all games that should be lopsided wins. And if they're not, he is going to take a lot of the blame. This is probably a Florida team. That's going to win eight and four. Anthony Richardson is going to start the final five games of the year. He's going to look bad against Georgia because everybody looks bad against Georgia. Then he's going to ball out against like South Carolina, Samford, Florida state. And I can't remember who the fourth game is. And they're going to go into the offseason feeling great on a four-game win streak. Richardson is the QB of the future. Everything's good and blah, blah, blah. We'll forget about this in a month and a half. I do think that they have to start Richardson, even if I'm not sure like if, he, if he's super ready, because if not, Richardson, what's the chance he's actually there next year if they continue to jerk him around like this? You're, you're literally playing. This is kind of like a, a Caleb Williams type thing. 
Was Lane Kiffin really retweeting Anthony Richardson's tweets over the weekend after Florida's loss? Like, was the timing of that right? Did I see catch like? I did not see. I that. missed that. All right, I I wanted to come out and say I don't know because everything was insane yesterday between the breaking news. You know, you write the story, you jump on HQ, you jump on the podcast, you got a lot going on. But I felt like of all the content that was passing in front of my eyes, somebody had screenshotted Lane Kiffin's Twitter feed, and he's been retweeting or at least he I liked them. According he to Coca, them. he liked them. Okay. So he's he's just doing Lane stuff. But he's that's it's incredible, right? Just like, hmm, Anthony Richardson. Because then he had that – Anthony Richardson had the cryptic quote about leaving after the game, right? Mm-hmm. Where he said something like, do you think uh, – make you think about transferring? He's like, he's like I'm not going to speak to that right now. I'm a Florida Gator right now. <laughs> At this well, moment. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, what teams would, would Richardson not start for today? Florida, obviously, because Mullen doesn't. I, I don't get that one at all. But that's obviously but that's the, case. the thing. Because like Dan, Dan Mullen has had such a good track record with his quarterbacks everywhere that he's been. That the fact that Anthony Richardson hasn't been playing is something of a red flag to me. Like there's something we're not seeing or we oh, don't know. Oh, 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 I will say though, he also has a track record, and that whole coaching tree has a track record of sticking with guys for too long due to seniority. I'll throw out the name Tyler Rogers, who played way too long when Dak Prescott, as mm-hmm. soon as they put him in there, Dak Prescott was like, oh, by the way, I'm really freaking good pretty quickly. Fair. And then yep. look at Urban Meyer. He played JT Barrett, and did he cost Ohio State a chance at the national championship by playing him over Haskins and over Joe Burrow? Like, hmm. JT Barrett was not a good quarterback at the end there, and he still was playing probably because of seniority, and he had two two better options on the bench. Um that's not a Mullen decision, but it is kind of his coaching tree and his mentor. So I don't know. Like I'm not totally sold on, on clearly he's, he's raw. Right. But Mm -hmm. this could be a Justin Fields level mistake. If they screw around, screw this around, he goes somewhere else. Like he would start for Penn state. I think he would start for Michigan. I think he would start for Clemson. I think he would start for Texas. Like right now he would definitely start at Georgia. You know, I, I just, I don't know what schools he wouldn't start for right now, but that dude's a freak. I think I think his plan was probably hoping that Emory Jones played well enough that by the time you got to the Georgia game, you're still playing well. You still have a chance to win the East. And he didn't probably think he could go in and beat Georgia with Anthony Richardson yet. And now that the season is pretty much over as far as the impact of winning the division or winning the SEC, now he's probably going to make that switch. I do want to make a correction. I said Tyler Rogers in air. I meant Tyler Russell. So Tyler if Russell, you guys yep. don't remember the name, when I said, do you remember the name? I don't blame you because I, I had the name. <laughs> so you got him confused with Will Rogers. Yes. Yeah, there was uh, there was some wild egg bowls where like the two of them were going back and forth, doing doing a little bit of quarterback shuffle, put Dak in, let him you know lead a lead a touchdown drive, but then not leave Dak in. In, in comes Tyler Russell again. I'm. It could be messing up those details, but uh, I, that does stand out as a Thursday night Thanksgiving. You're live blogging an egg bowl from your parents' house type situation <laughs> from six years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, any other sort of lingering thoughts from uh, from the slate that was? Uh, we've got one upon further review from the wife. She's out on LSU. No longer an LSU fan. She. Oh, she, that's right. She like, was. She became an LSU fan because she liked Les Miles. We saw how that ended, and we've seen how Les Miles' career at Kansas ended. Then she stuck around because she liked Orgeron, and now after reading that stories yesterday, she is out on Orgeron and out on LSU. So she is in the market for a new team. 
So if you've got suggestions, she wants somebody who's fun and is good, not in the Big Ten because she doesn't want to have to deal with fighting me about Illinois and not in the SEC. How does she handle heartbreak? She can live with it. Like, have you ever had like a nice anniversary dinner and then had to go to an HQ hit? <laughs> not, not yet, but I, she would handle that well. Wolfpack? <laughs> yeah, dude. You want to go NC State on her? I don't know if I could put that on <laughs> Like, the three schools that she's actually kind of mentioned are Oklahoma, Texas, but I told her, you know, they're both going to be joining the SEC in a few years here, so I don't know how attractive that will be to you. But then also, she's kind of she's kind of liking Utah. Yeah, Utah's a good one. I the um one of my upon further review notes, speaking of NC State, is the thing that might make this NC State team different, and maybe one of the reasons that you could believe that it is, you know, not going to mess up this opportunity to potentially compete for an ACC championship is that in uh, moments where NC State would have lost at Boston College, as NC State has done several times before. It is that time in the game where Boston College has a turnover, gives you a short field. It's that time in the game where NC State just needs to get down there and score before halftime. And previous NC State teams that would have followed the familiar script of disappointment, they would have just given it right back. Like it just would have been one of those games where no one wants to win is the familiar refrain. Like, oh man, does anybody want to win this game? When Boston College handed NC State opportunities, NC State made Boston College pay. To me, that is like what good teams do. And as NC State now has its second straight road game going to Miami, um, Miami will make some mistakes. Will NC State be able to continue that habit of making Miami pay for those mistakes? Because if so, then I I see the Wolfpack continuing to keep this thing rolling and getting uh, in and out of South Florida with a win. Does she have any like restrictions as far as did she go to a, a school that plays football? Uh, no, she went to Lake Forest University and the University of Chicago. So a school that used to play football long before she got there. What about Wake Forest? Who? That's, I don't, I don't know. And I, it, I, she, she wants a team that could not, not necessarily a title contender every year, but she wants a team that could, you know, win nine, 10, 11 games a season and be fun. And not the Irish. No, everybody God, no. She, wants, okay. she wants absolutely nothing to do with Notre okay. Dame. She hates Brian Kelly with a fiery passion that only is usually seen from Brian Kelly on the sidelines. San Diego State. She does have some affinity for San Diego State, but again, not quite good enough. I mean, you get I've, I've had some intimate moments with that mascot, like sideline and at an NCAA tournament game. You're like, this guy's not wearing any clothes. I mean, look at this man. He's wearing a gladiator suit or I guess an Aztec. Um, dress uh traditional dress i'm sure Mm -hmm. uh any other we've got two this isn't necessarily a week seven upon further review but it's just an interesting bit of trivia that made me laugh we've got two top 10 teams that are underdogs in week eight do you know who they are oklahoma state and at at iowa state cyclones favored by seven yeah and uh oregon oregon's on the road against ucla right UCLA favored by two and a half in the Rose Bowl for a 12:30 local time kickoff against the Ducks. Uh, I don't know. This ain't the locks pod, but give me the clones. Let's go. Yes. I mean, isn't that one of those just disconnects that not, there's no principle to it, but uh, Iowa State. Yeah, I don't this know is, if I'll lock it up. This is what the bill comes but... to for Oklahoma State. 
Actually, you know what? Here's what I'll do. I'm going to take Iowa State to win and Oklahoma State to cover. I'm going to I'm going to play both sides here. Okay. We'll see. You can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott three. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Make sure that you get in those questions for the big old bag of mail. In our midweek episode, we will be going over the CBS Sports midseason All-America selections and answering some of your questions. So make sure you jump in on that. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.